Let he 
Second Corinthians chapter four is our study this morning. Supervisor in a mental institution was making his rounds, meeting some of the inmates. He asked this one guy, and what is your name? He said, Abraham Lincoln. The supervisor went on his way and a few hours later came back. And he said to that same individual now, what did you say is your name? He said, George Washington. The supervisor scratched his head and said, but I, I thought I understood you to say it was Abraham Lincoln. The man replied, but that was by my first marriage. Every sane thinking person who knows his name is acutely aware that there must be some dramatic and definite changes in the society in which we live. All kinds of programs, philosophies, and political maneuverings, but the only answer to the problems in America is the change that Jesus Christ will bring to the hearts and lives of people. It's not enough just to put a new suit on a man or a new dress on a woman. There must be a new person in that suit and in that dress. As we study this fourth chapter, I find here some principles as to how you can change your world. Or if you want it to be a little more scriptural, how to be fruitful. Or the price of being a soul winner. All in verses 1 through 6, if you are to change the world in which you live, you must be consumed with the message of God. That message is found in verse 3, verse 4, and 5. The gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Clearly the message is that Jesus Christ is God. And that through his death and resurrection, he must be made Lord of every life. Paul opens this paragraph by saying, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. 
confesses that he is unworthy. But also he states that whoever God calls and commissions, God will be adequate for whatever pressures and even the persecution that he must face. In verse 2, Paul says that we must keep the message pure. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. of Christ, the Son of God, who is Lord, is a message that must be given from sincere lives. In no way must any of us be underhanded, or as Paul says, distort the word of God. The original language is the word that we translate adulterated, which means that you add to or take from. Paul says we have not adulterated the word of God. We have not taken from it, nor do we add to it. But on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And now he speaks of the power of the message of Jesus Christ. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The Bible uses frequently the description of the lost and of the saved. There are only two groups of people in the world. There are only two groups of people in this congregation today. Those who are lost perishing, and those who are saved who are going to heaven. The word lost means infinitely more than just the absence of one's physical presence. Deborah Poe, that young woman in the convenience store in Sanford, is missing. She is lost physically. But here the word refers to one's spiritual destiny. And so Paul says that there are those who are lost, spiritually perishing, because the God of this age, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to it. And he designs, as we read there in the earlier chapter, devices or schemes 
to keep us in this lost, blinded condition. Is this doubt when a person grows up with a low self-esteem, does not know how to love or to trust their parents? So many times Satan uses this to blind an individual in unbelief. Many times Satan uses deception. Oftentimes that deception has been religion. He uses a formula of churchanity and religion to actually blind people to who they are, their need of salvation, their need of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, Satan will use the veil of delay. Come to church today, and he is going to blind some of you by saying, not now, another time. You're not ready yet. Years ago, a great revival was, was spreading across the campus of Princeton University. A young man got under, under conviction, his name, Aaron Burr. It's reported that he came to the president of that university for counseling. The president of Princeton said to Aaron Burr, who was under conviction, young man, Wait until the emotion of the revival is over, and then you think through seriously about the decision that you need to make. Those who knew Aaron Burr reported that never again did he sense a need nor talk to anyone concerning his need of salvation. Again and again, the devil uses the veil to blind people as to their need now of accepting Jesus Christ. Of you today, drawn emotionally. Some of you are attracted to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet in this congregation, there are those of you whom the God of this world has blinded because of your unbelief. And consequently, you cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But even though Satan has that kind of power over unbelieving men, Paul confirms the power of the gospel. For he said, verse 6, God said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. That creative light that brought the world into being, is now the redemptive light 
of the grace of Jesus Christ that is able to shine into the heart and to give an individual knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so our message is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. And even though some of you have hesitated, some of you have questions, some of you have waited, yet as we read over in chapter 3, that whoever turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And I know many of these girls from the House of Hope identify with what I'm saying. You know how you were blinded, how you were deceived. There was a veil over your mental and spiritual capacity. But when you turn to the Lord, Jesus became real. The light of God shined into your heart. And now you're new creatures. You're different people. Folks, if we're going to change the world in which we live, that's the hope. That's the only message. It's not found in man's philosophies or in politics, but it's found in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, one morning in Salada, Colorado, seven-year-old Bonnie Bullock came to breakfast as usual. As she sat down to eat her cereal, she saw her picture on a milk carton. She told her foster parents, that's my picture. And through the court investigation, they discovered that she had been taken from her father's custody in Tampa, Florida in 1983. But when she saw the picture of herself, she was returned to her family. And folks, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll see yourself. God loves you. You'll see the need of your life. And through the light of the gospel, you will see the face of Jesus and discover the reality of God. And so it is, you will be brought in to God's family. Secondly, if you're to change the world in which you live, you must be committed, you must be committed to the method of God. And what is the method of God? Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. So what is God's method for changing the world? What is God's method in making effective the message of Jesus Christ, 
as you well know, it's not in bigger church buildings, bigger budgets, greater organizations of our people. The answer is not to be found in any human being, no matter how well educated and talented he may be. The answer to the world's ills, the way in which your world can be changed, is through the all-surpassing power that is from God. And look at the expression of how that power is manifested down there in verse 11. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. For the world to see Jesus. So that the word of Christ which we preach and testify and live may become effective. The world has got to experience the power of God in our lives, in our mortal bodies. Testimony. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Paul says, God has so worked in my life and in the circumstances of my life that he wanted to show the absolute insufficiency that's in me and to, re and to reveal the total sufficiency that's of God. First that, and that's the reason that we make so little impact on the world today. Paul is saying what matters is not who I am, but who God is. Paul says, in fact, God has used all these experiences to strip me of my self-sufficiency, that I, through my mortal body, might show that the sufficiency is of God. more than just a, a Sunday morning sermon. If we want the world in which we live to change, then we must experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Us at our best are nothing in God's sight. We cannot compete with the world, with television. The only 
way in which the message of Christ is going to change the lives of people is for the supernatural power of a living Savior to flow through our lives, convincing people that Jesus is who he says he is and that he can do what he has promised. Now, if you really believe in the method of God, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to return to the pattern of the early church. Then instead of having banquets and playing ball and doing all those other things, the church again and again found itself on its knees in prayer, asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so the message of God is Jesus is God the Savior. The method of God in which you and I today can accomplish that task is to show this all-surpassing power is from God so that the life of Christ may be revealed in our mortal bodies. As we come to the next paragraph, verses 13 through 15, if we are to change our world, we must also be compelled by the motive of God. What was the secret of Paul's ministry? What was the secret of those early Christians? What is the secret today of those who are fruitful and winning people to Christ? What is the secret of churches today that are impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's the motive. Look at verse 15. The grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. God's purpose in the world is that more and more people will respond to his grace. And this brings thanksgiving to the glory of God our Father. There's no other way that you can cut it. As you look at the New Testament, you will find that the secret of these early Christians is the fact that they recognize that the world was the field that they needed to harvest. That men everywhere, more and more, may come to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. How can you and I fulfill God's purpose? How is it that we can be so motivated in our lives that we can change the world in which we live. In this paragraph, Paul lays down some of those principles that must be adapted 
to our lives if we are to change the world. First of all, he says that we must die to ourselves. Back there in verse 12, that's what he's saying. So that the life of Christ may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul was saying there is a price to be paid for the message, for the method, and for the motive of God in this world. And that price is that I must die to myself and allow Christ to be preeminent. George Mueller, who is used of God in feeding thousands of orphans in England, was once asked, Mr. Mueller, what is the secret of your phenomenal success? And George Mueller replied, there came a time in my life when George Mueller died, utterly died. He died to all of his selfish plans and ambitions. And when he died, Christ came to live through him. That is my secret. Folks, in this day of easy living, in which we try to make following Christ a matter of personal preference and convenience, the Word of God teaches Paul is our model. The only way in which God's purpose can be carried out in this world of ours is for many of us to come to the place in our lives that we die to ourselves and we allow our plans and our ambitions to be secondary to the purpose and the call of God that men might be saved through the grace of God. Oh, today, there needs to be a crucifixion in all of our lives instead of what I want and what pleases me and the pleasures and the comforts that I have to be willing to say in this desperate day in which we live, my world must change. But that change begins with my dying to my selfish ambitions and plans. The second principle that he lays down, verse 13, is an affirmation of faith, a dynamic growing faith. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe. And so Paul says, not only must I die to myself, but I must believe in the person and the power of Jesus Christ. In the third place, he says there must be confidence in a glorious hope. Verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. And so as we die to ourselves, as we day by day believe in God and his word, then we live 
for tomorrow, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, he lays down the principle of self-forgetfulness. As he says, all this is for your benefit. Paul is not thinking of himself, any advantage that he has, but for the benefit of those who have received his message. Someone expressed that truth in the words, I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while he counted losses. I counted my worth by the things in store, but he sized me up by the scars I bore. I coveted honors and sought for degrees. He wept as he counted the hours on my knees. And I never knew till one day by grave how vain are the things that we spend life to save. If your world is to be changed, then you and I must come to deny ourselves to affirm our faith in a miracle-working God, to live in confidence of the hope which the resurrection of Jesus will bring, and to give ourselves to a self-forgetful lifestyle that will indeed impact the hearts and lives of others about us. In the fourth place, if you're to change your world, then you must be compensated with the might of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. The other day I was studying the church membership role, and once again I was struck deep in my heart with the absenteeism and the apostasy of more than half of the people who claim membership in this church. You are aware of the spiritual dropouts in your Sunday school class. There are folks with the slightest provocation who use that as an excuse to stop coming to Sunday school or to stop coming to church. And consequently, there are those who have lost heart for one reason or another. In contrast, Paul says, we do not lose heart. How is it that a person can keep on keeping on, regardless of personalities, regardless of conflicts and problems and pressures in life or in church? Here's the answer. He says, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. You see, the answer is for each of us and for us to teach others how to walk with God day by day. Through that daily inward renewal that comes through scripture reading and prayer, so it is that inwardly, we're strong, even though outwardly the body may be tired, there's disease, 
There is aging, the aging process. No matter what happens outwardly, you can stay faithful to the Lord. You will not lose heart if you will be compensated with the might of God in your heart through the resources that Jesus Christ gives. Seriously, are you here today just to hear a sermon? Or do you recognize that your world must be changed? The business world, the professional world, the political world, the domestic world, the athletic world, wherever you live and go, whatever you do, folks, there is the need of people being changed. It'll come about when you and I are consumed with the message of Jesus, when indeed our hearts and our lives recognize that the way to get it done, the method, is by the power of the Holy Spirit and not within ourselves. When the primary motive of our lives is to see more and more people receive the grace of Jesus and bring thanksgiving to the, to the glory of God. And as we daily find new strength, are replenished by the resources that God makes available to us, so it is. The Lord will use you to be fruitful. He will use you to change the world in which you live. Let's pray together. With every head and heart bowed before the Lord Christ, I've spoken this morning to some of you, members of this church, who are discouraged. Some of you have wanted to give up. You have lost heart. If you go back, more than likely, it's because your walk with the Lord has not been what it ought to be. How many of you today need to reestablish that daily quiet time? How many of you need to commit yourself to be more faithful to your church that you might be renewed within? Make that decision just now. There are those of you who are here who know Christ, but you have not identified yourself with the people of God. You've not really gotten out of the grandstands, down on the playing field, to become a part of God's family. Why don't you today, as we see in a moment, just get up and come and say, yes, by God's grace and through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I want to come and pledge myself to be a part of this church which is committed and working and proclaiming a message to change the world. Without any hesitation, some of you can help others come to Christ today by coming and making that decision of recommitting yourself and joining this church in the ways in which we receive members. But the greatest need this morning is for some of you 
We're in church. But the devil came to church today, and he's blinded some of you. He's put a veil over your mind so that you hesitate to receive Jesus. Some of you today need to be saved, and the only way is for you to turn to the Lord and let God take that veil of doubt and sin away from you that you might indeed experience the light of the face of Jesus Christ. Why not right now there? Say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I turn to you in faith. Thank you that you love me, that you died for my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I turn to you. I will follow you. Won't you step out and make that decision right now, allowing Jesus to become your Savior and your Lord. Father, I commit to you this time of invitation and pray that the devil will be restrained, that indeed there will be those who will turn to you, that the veil might be removed and they might know the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. Remember that we sing, as we sing just as I am, without any hesitation, won't you move out from the balcony, from the lower floor, as the Spirit of God has worked in your life to make that decision. Let's stand. If you said that prayer for the first time, pray with Pastor Daisy. I welcome you to the family of God. If you did say that prayer, please send the same message. Let us know. That you accepted Jesus today. God bless you.